0: Previously on Storylogical, <laughs> <laughs> Readers, if you could replace either Emma or I with a lampshade, which would you choose?
1: <laughs> can I be a really fancy lampshade with a lot of trim and possibly even a chandelier? Does Are that you
0: volunteering can... to be the lampshade? Yeah, as long as I well, can That seems still talk. problematic because you're the woman. That seems like the, the wrong choice. Really? Yeah, I feel like be... it would be more gender fuckery if I was the lampshade. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, how often can you replace a man in a movie with a lampshade and feel like it would basically be the same movie? Let's think of one right now. Ready? Three, two, one. I'm
1: just imagining the born identity (laughs) with a tiny lampshade (laughs) with little legs going... (laughs) This is Storylogical, a podcast about amazing stories.
0: That we kind of like. I'm Chris Camerood.
1: And I'm E.G. Kosh. My pick this week is The Wombly by K.L. Morris, which was in Shimmer magazine Uh, in the summer... Of 2016.
0: That seems like a branding thing they should go for. Shimmer Summer. The Summer of Shimmer.
1: The Wombly is about a girl whose family has become infected by a wombly, which is a kind of a disease that passes from person to person. And in order to survive it, you need to pass it on to somebody else. And the wombly that has infected them is a soap wombly. Some say these are one of the best. Little Liza Lee had it for so short a time, she will shave the pebbly suds from her sides and her back, and no one will ever know she bore it. But Dad will have it forever. He'll don plastic bags to shower and be careful of rainstorms and puddles and dense fog because they will melt him. He'll make a collection of galoshes and raincoats and rubber gloves and live forever in fear of water. Because in this story, the Womblys are a strange kind of infection that plague the town and you can have a soap Wombly, a wool Wombly, a tin Wombly. Bronze Wombly.
0: Bronze Wombly.
1: I thought you said a broccoli Wombly. You could have a (laughs) broccoli Wombly.
0: (laughs) broccoli womb I mean you really they, you've missed a uh, a chance for a kind of internal slant rhyme there without having a broccoli wombly I think so yeah i guess it's an end rhyme too it's all is everything rhymes
1: so all of these all of these diseases plague the town and yeah. the story like a plague f- like a like a plague <laughs> yeah um then the girl who is at the center of it is looking for a bearer because everybody in her family has had this wombly it's been passed from person to person And now it is with her mother, but the girl at the center doesn't want to take it, doesn't want to tap her, cannot take this burden from her mother. And so the story, it's a very short slice of life kind of story, and it just follows her far enough to see her not want to take it, to understand what the Womblies are, and then for her mother to die as she tries to claw her way into the girl's bedroom.
0: Yeah, Uh, but then freezes. Yeah, freezes as, as in a soap. This soap, soap
1: does. A soap
0: statue. It made me think of a lot of things that we've talked about uh, in recent past episodes, beginning with Singing My Sister Down, I think, but then also Escape from Spiderhead about... Well, in those stories, kind of about crime and punishment. But to me, where, where this story came in was like those stories. There's no real entrance to what's going on. There's, there's no introduction to this is the way the world works. Uh, like in singing my sister down she 's already been proven guilty she 's getting executed and mm-hmm. escaped from spiderhead that guy 's already in the lockup. and so, like these stories there 's a there 's a real despairing uh, terror in this story because you begin with there 's this disease and sorry there's there 's no way out. And mm-hmm. I is love this one I, option. Would you take it? Or yeah, you yeah. Not well, yeah there's it? just this one option. Yeah, and I love how, like, with the the lottery or singing my sister down or escape from spiderhead, because the story gives you no entrance, it gives you no exit, mm-hmm. uh, and so uh, it really bears down on you as you read it.
1: Yeah, I found it much more powerful than its word count would suggest, and I think the reason that I connected so hard with it is because I really felt the weight of. Uh, I felt like it was a really powerful representation of not being able to bear the weight of your family's expectation, whatever that is an expectation about. Right. So in this case, the family want her to take the Wombly from the mother um, and she can she can hear them arguing about it downstairs while she hides in her room. But she doesn't want to. And she feels this overbearing oh, guilt for it and so she's trying to look for other options can she hire a bearer somewhere else well it you know there are bearers for rent in the town square but they're three thousand dollars you know should she take it to, for herself and then pass it off to someone else could she you know she runs through all of these different options she tries to find a way out but as you said there is no exit and she cannot do this thing that her mum. Her mom doesn't just want her to do it. Her mom wants her to want to do it. And that is the worst.
0: I also saw in it, not just the way, a family expectation. I felt like it was important, uh, the moment in the story where uh, the girl sees two protests. One protest seems to be being done by the people being possessed by the Wombly disease, such that maybe the Wombly is sentient, because they seem to be chanting for the Wombly disease. I don't know, maybe these people are just like, look... Whatever, humanity's over. We should surrender to the disease. Uh, but on the other side is uh, a bunch of god folk, and they're like throwing stones. And so part of the poignancy to the story to me was was uh, kind of realization of the, the the terror of disease and the the demonization of it. Uh, so that what felt really sad to me at the end, I really loved the choice that Kao Morris made where it's clear the mother is going to die. It's too late to save her. So the only choice is, will I take this burden from my mom so that she dies easier, slash so that my mom knows that I was willing to take it from her? Uh, and so the choice becomes not, will I save my mom? But yeah, will I do what is expected of me, slash what is good? I'm, I'm not sure yeah,
1: what, what is good in the story. Yeah, uh, perspective in it. Yeah, and
0: that's part of what uh, maybe frustrated me reading it. Because I feel like when I read Singing My Sister Down, or I read The Lottery, those stories have a point of view. They know what they want to say, or at least they dive so deep into the thing that you come out of it with an idea of what to take from it. And Singing My Sister Down, there's a definite motion to where whatever the more, whatever you think the story's about, that character at the end feels irrevocably changed. I couldn't, I uh, I, I didn't see what this girl had come to understand about the world Mm. or about her family, where she was going to be different or look at the world differently at the end of it.
1: Yeah, there's that. It ends on the mum dying and we don't get a look into what's happening in the girl's head at that moment or in the moment after. What does it mean for how she sees the rest of her family to have had this weight put on her, right? To have not done what is expected of her. How are they going to treat her? What does that relationship look like? Yeah, yeah. People yeah. in the town, uh, yeah, it seems that, to be a town full of judgment. Oh, uh, Yeah, yeah. And that was, what was, that was
0: the most interesting thing to me that in, in some ways was left Im- implicit. The, the fact that she when she goes around the town looking for things, you know, she does just go around looking at things. She's never really faced with making a choice. She just looks at stuff. And, and one of the things that she sees is other families that have made different choices. Mm-hmm. There's the one family where the father didn't pass it on. There's the other family where the brother passed it to the sister. But then the brother went out to kidnap a dude and force him to take to the disease. It, yeah. yeah, to force him to bear it. And I wanted like, I wanted her to think about it and like about her family more than just the question. But I did love that that question was set up because her family is different. Yeah. They've made different choices. And it kind of feels like that she made the same choice that her family made. Every member of her family decided to pass it on. In a sense, you could say, like, cowardly, like, yeah. I don't want it, you take it. I don't want it, you take it. Yeah. And at the end, she just fact, makes the, the same mom choice. May,
1: it's the mom that makes a different choice, right? The mom says, I'm not going to pass it on. I want my daughter to come to me. I have just now thought that it reminds me of an Amy Bender story, which I cannot remember the name of. Tell me about it. There's a family in a house and weird stuff happens like things appear in the house i think
0: is it the one where the dad has a hole in his stomach
1: i don't think so
0: okay well that's a good one that's a good one i don't remember the name of that one that's maybe good i'll one. just
1: quickly go and look it up and then by the power of podcast it will seem like it's there immediately oh. the amy bender story yes america america it's got a double c i don't know how i'm supposed to pronounce it uh
0: that. okay it's got a double c no k's no H's.
1: Just regular America with, with a double C. Okay, I'm
0: just checking, because there's definitely a book, uh, America. Oh, this story. By Adichie, I think. Go ahead. Is yeah, this? so Ameri- America.
1: <laughs> Who's it by? Amy Bender. It's a story of a family and of, of a girl who grows up and leaves that family and goes off to college. And the the part, the part childhood part of it is, uh concerns a bunch of objects that appear at random throughout the house. and And what these objects do to the family and the way they relate to each other and it's it's never really resolved and then it concludes with her finding this old pack of curry powder that she's not really sure where it came from you know maybe it came from her childhood maybe it came from somewhere else maybe it came from this randomly appearing things in the house yeah
0: or the rainbow dimension of violet wild
1: all that yeah because it is very yellow that is what she says okay
0: yeah particular Uh, sadness of lemon cake
1: (laughs) and at that point at that point, when she uses it, the final scene is she she uses this curry powder. She makes herself a meal and she cries the whole way through it. And it's, I guess, a lesson in objects and families and the way those families relate to each other. And it just, although the Wombly is different and much, much shorter, it kind of had the same echo and the same energy of feeling like, what are my family doing and why are they so goddamn mysterious to me?
0: My pick for this week is Directions by Judy Budnitz. It is a story in her collection, Flying Leap, which came out in 1998 and is an amazing collection that everyone should read uh, probably yesterday.
1: Just go back and sort it out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we won't know. You can tell us you read it yesterday. Directions is a story that begins in this manner. This is a city of many faces. It folds itself into dark corners. It stretches out its fingers of neon signs and asphalt. It unrolls itself like a magic carpet. It changes from day to day. It had a heart that beats in the center, though no one knows where the center is. This is a city of paths and destination. A hundred thousand people make their way through the maze. Their paths meet and cross. They leave their trails of broken hearts and breadcrumbs behind them. They think their ways are secret, their desires unknown. But they are like the ants in an ant farm. Anyone watching from above can see exactly where they are going and where they have been.
1: And just yes, 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 please. Yes, I would like more of that all the time.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is true. One of uh, one of the greatest things in the world, clearly, that we both love, is just just give me a voice with a sense of perspective in it. That's that's what we want. Give me in the uncharted backwaters of the Milky Way galaxy. There's the <laughs> third planet. Oh, bam. Okay, good. Let's go from there. Uh, yeah. So the story goes from there. Goes from that perspective. It does like a very like beautiful kind thing a story can do, which is, it's like, uh, okay, this is, this is the kind of story I'm going to tell you. Now I'm going to tell you that kind of story. Like you might be surprised (laughs) here and there by the things, like the cool ways I describe it, but I have set up for you. This is my perspective.
1: Mm -hmm. And right in those first couple of lines or the first paragraph that you, that you read out, Mm -hmm. I'm already just comfortably uncomfortable, Uh, you Mm. know, feeling, confident that this writer and this story is gonna go somewhere cool and interesting yeah yeah. yeah. i don't have to be nervous like when you watch a really bad stand-up and you're like oh no yeah that could be
0: why like as let's say anxious sensitive people we respond really well to stories that have an assured comforting kind of voice not Mm. authoritative just assured like i wrote i wrote down that to me In this story, as in a lot of Judy Bundes stories, but in particular this one, there's an assured and bright sadness to it uh, that carries through from that opening paragraph throughout. Uh, And just so you know, what happens in the story is there are several different people that we follow and meet. There are the Clarks that are trying to find the theater district. There is uh, a couple of thieves named, I believe, uh, Vince and Nick, maybe. Uh, Yeah, uh, a couple of thieves named Vince and Nick that are trying to figure out their way. Uh, to the underground beneath the bank so they can rob it. Uh, there's a girl named Ladley who's trying to find something she has lost, though she doesn't know what it is, but she's pretty sure she can find it if she just goes out and looks for it. Uh, and there's a guy named Gordon who's just been told that he's dying and who, I love this, uh, Budnitz partly grasps his sense of sadness about dying because he just focuses on aspects of old people and I he's know. jealous of it. Oh, like, I, oh I really my. love
1: the folds in her neck. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm
0: so envious of that man's bald head. I was like,
1: <laughs> yes, oh, that's great good job
0: Uh, and then also there is you you are a character in the story and you are lost and you're also trying to find something one of the things i love about the story is that so all these characters are set up and in a way i'll use cinematic terminology the way that she edits them together there are a lot of beautiful cuts so that like for example in their wanderings around the city they find this map shop and the way the story is laid out they all find the map shot like kind of at slightly different stages of finding like one sees the shop and then one is at the window and then one is inside mm. and then there's a moment where
1: it's a real crescendo as they mm-hmm. all yeah, arrive yeah. at the map right, shop right. in their and own each way
0: time each time something important is going to happen that little crescendo happens so it's like it is like listening to a symphony and it kind of goes yeah. over and over again until like the final big sweep happens uh and it's a it's in that structure is the same assuredness of of the voice
1: yeah i thought that making you the reader one of the characters that is looking for something in this is Mm -hmm. the smartest of very many smart choices Mm. that she makes because it could feel i don't know difficult to access difficult to kind of get into exactly what she's trying to say i don't think it would but well, go with it. But go with it. Yeah. Because then when she brings the you character in and tells you that you're looking for something and that you're kind of like, uh, you know, you're hunched into your collar and you've got your chin down and your collar's up against the wind and and you're looking for something and you're not sure what it is. and And she paints you with this kind of angry uncertainty. That I mm-hmm. really recognized when I feel lost, that yeah. is how I feel. Yeah. I feel uncertain and like I push that uncertainty out as anger. And so it, it just echoed so powerfully with with that kind of reality for me.
0: Yeah, it reminded me of... Uh, <laughs> Uh, so when you take pictures on an iPhone and probably any camera there's a setting called HDR which is called high dynamic resolution which just means that your camera will take three different pictures at different exposures to try to get as much detail as possible with all the different light and this story felt like it had had a kind of a high dynamic resolution to it because it, it felt like all the details were clear from the highest possible viewpoint of humans as these ants wandering around down to like what you say a kind of perfect encapsulation of Of what it feels like to be lost in yourself, and also the details of like yeah the person that was looking at the bald wrinkles, but also the conversations between the clerks are rendered with a lot of specificity that is that is lovely to look at i think your your very is like it's so right the that second person perspective the you <laughs> something let's just say extraordinary uh something extraordinary about what you just described and how she renders it in a kind of ambiguous detail mm. so it's like a perfect kind of pop song in that it gives you the sense that you are that person and you have that emotion but it never gives you so much detail that it pushes you away mm. the other sections with the other characters it gives you enough detail that you can see them and believe in them yeah but you can in the see use them as set, other. yeah you can see them in other exactly
1: this story has uh, a wonderful chorus in it in the same way as violet world that we spoke about last time as each character finds the map shop and goes in to ask uh, ask the map keeper, the map maker. Map maker. If for help, they all come out with versions of the phrase, do you have anything like that? They explain yeah, what yeah. they're looking for. Do you have anything yes. like that? And as the third and the fourth and the fifth time that it's said, it starts to feel like this desperate cry. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. It just lives in all of us like a silent scream. Do yeah. you... Do you have anything like that? Can you, can you help me on my way? <laughs> yeah. uh, and part of it
0: is just delight that they each get a different map. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it, uh, I mean, yeah, it, it can mean something allegorically as well. Uh, It's true. Uh, Partly I'm just so delighted by the different ways that the map maker gives you a map. Uh, One, the the Clarks get a map that just gets torn away by the wind and they have (laughs) to chase chase after it. it. And the lady in chasing after it discovers a balance that she hasn't found before in her life. Gordon gets a map uh, that doesn't exist because the map makers are like, I don't have the map you need. Somewhere out there in the world. You'll find it when you need it. Oh, yeah, Oh I could just keep talking about the different maps, because I love it. But I do have something else I could say. Go on. Are you ready? Um, so we, we've talked about the voice. we talked about the editing. Something else I love that is small but ubiquitous in the story is just layout. By which I mean, in the story, it doesn't follow the convention that dialogue is broken out into a separate paragraph.
1: Right, it's very the, verbal. The
0: dialogue is kept inside of the paragraph. And I at first when I read it, I just... I kind of notice it in passing. It's something I like doing in my stories, but I don't really, I'm not thinking about why she does it at the time. But then after the story, I was thinking about it. Why? And I thought, well, it's almost, in a sense, it gives it, on the one hand, that sense of God perspective, because you're so far above everything, that these people's voices aren't really as separate as you would see in a regular story. They're all encapsulated. Um, And so as part of that, that it's like at this distance, um, how people look, how they talk, the city they live in, the things that happen around them are all part of one whole thing, mm. which is what she's describing at the beginning of the story as well. And it's just so small, but so perfect because when you look at the page, you just see these distinct blocks that are whole so and like unto themselves. Yeah, like city blocks. Yeah.
1: For, for me, that including the dialogue inside of the paragraph was had much more of a feeling of making it an oral. Story, like she's Mm -hmm. sitting next to us and telling us this story about these people and their search for the map maker. Yeah, yeah. and and that too was another thing that just brought me right up into it.
0: We know how you're saying that you love the second person perspective and you love that sense of it being a story told to you. um I love how, in a way, she she tips her hat to it at the end of the story because, you know, as as we do, if you don't want to know the end of the story, you can press pause and go read it if you want to, whatever. At the end of the story, uh, you know, everybody's kind of found their way to the place they wanted to go in whatever roundabout, unconscious or conscious method. (laughs) And the map maker is looking at it and he gets kind of happy and smiley and dreamy and falls asleep and knocks over his ink and it spills all over the map. Rather than saying all of these characters' lives took a glorious, disastrous, unexpected turn. That's not the way that Judy writes it. Judy writes it, builds all over the map and all your lives take Mm -hmm. a glorious, disastrous, unexpected turn. So it reinforces that sense, like you said, that she's sitting there with all of her readers who are reading the story in one specific place and time and delivers that last line to all of us. It really, like as we're talking about it, it makes me wish that she would just come to London and, yeah, and, and read the story. Out. Yeah, we could hang out and she could read the story. We'd be like, hey, hey, Judy. Could you, I just, look, <laughs> hey, I don't want you to sign this book, but could you just read from this page to this page?
1: <laughs> the, one, the one aspect of the story that I had questions about or right. that didn't feel as compelling to me was the fact that, I think it's Gordon and Natalie, two of the people who were looking, what they end up with maps to is each other and they find each other as being part of, you know the next stage in their lives and while that was kind of cute that they you know it was a, it was nice in a structural way i never really got that sense that it was the exact right thing why they were each other's perfect match at that moment uh, well, yeah yeah
0: i'm i can understand that uh i think that because of the perspective that she has taken uh it's like asking why do mr and mrs clark need a map that runs away from them? Why do the two thieves need a map that takes them to the underworld? From the stories perspective, it doesn't matter why they need it. That's just what they got. And so oh, I'm with you in a couple of senses. One is I think that we're always suspicious of something romantic happening in a story, particularly now at this point of our lives. So when the Can two you thieves... you make it
1: sound like we're super cynical? <laughs> yeah,
0: I think in general, a lot of people, I think to speak ridiculously broadly uh-huh. there may be a rise of earnestness but i think that's just me i just don't care anymore i don't care that some people are cynical about romance true love exists it happens also everyone dies and has cancer and there's a lot of pain and mm-hmm. often true love only lasts for 5 seconds doesn't mean it's not real if it only lasts for 5 seconds that's in fact one of when the great definitions away, great of true love a
1: story called 5 second love
0: i think all of my stories are basically that <laughs> Um, they're all about a moment of love that either happens right at the end or right at the beginning, and you're either unraveling towards it or unraveling away from it and so yeah i I enjoyed that there was only two characters that came together rather than a feeling that all of the characters intersected and i just I just at the end of that section where Gordon and Natalie find each other, Judy the narrator writes says she is a country he can live in here is a place he can be, and in the same way that you describe that description of the second person perspective the you as having a sense of anger and uncertainty that you're familiar with that description is a description of what it means to me to find someone that it doesn't matter to me what the specifics of that situation the whole idea of map making has presented her with a with a with a two sentences she can say in that moment that feel like a, a perfect description of one kind of love and in the same way that each character each set of characters gets a different map this is a kind of love they fell and because the end of the story is like oh and then fuck all happens and whatever uh like also gordon's gonna die who knows what's gonna happen next yeah uh thanks for listening readers we talked about two stories this week that is less than the amount of stories that exist in the world if you have any thoughts of stories we should be reading you can find us on twitter let us know what you think.
1: We are at storyological.com. <laughs> no, we are, we are at, we are at We're just at storyological. We're at Twitter.
0: storyological. Uh, that is story.
1: Like the word. Oh. Like the letter. And logical. Like the uh, rhetorical structure.
0: You can follow her on Twitter at Ichikosh.
1: And you can follow him on Twitter. Which I ain't going to spell for you, but I might say it. It's at Kuvals.
0: Uh, you can find and like us on Facebook if that's a place you hang out a lot. Yeah, We're we at have Facebook a Facebook dot- page. Yeah, we do have a Facebook page. Sometimes we put up doodles and thoughts and, uh, you know, we'll put up some questions there. We haven't yet. We might. It's a thing I've seen people do on the Internet. Is Facebook on the Internet? Do we even say I that anymore?
1: Just is the Internet.
0: It's unfortunate. Uh, but also, it's great. All power to the, War of the Lords. Um Don't worry about us. We're fine. We're not saying anything here. Shh. Um, yeah. Uh, you can search for us or you can just go to facebook.com slash storylogical.
1: And if you have enjoyed this podcast, this podcast. as <laughs> oh, in the blooper reel. The podcast. <laughs> if we you,
0: are the podcast of the future.
1: Podcast. If, if you have enjoyed this podcast... Please head on over to iTunes to leave us a review. That helps other people find us, and we love it when that happens.
0: Yeah. Uh, and if you don't have an iTunes account, you don't want an iTunes account. Just tell one friend. Oh, even two. if they're the yeah, two. I know, but I'm just saying, don't exert yourself too much. I mean, you just right, tell okay, one yeah. person, even if it's you know uh, Joe Donaghy down at the office that you hardly ever talk to. Just leave them a secret note yeah. and say you should go check out StoryLogical. It will be mysterious might be creepy i don't know but you know it's joe we should get some promotional promotional, uh
1: post-it notes printed up and we can just get people to go around leaving them mysteriously on everyone's desks in the office
0: we could yeah yeah that's the question are our audience of listeners the type of people that enjoy going out of their house and sticking things onto stuff Uh, oh yeah
1: guerrilla marketers
0: for show notes appropriate and inappropriate gifts uh, links to past episodes and a chance to subscribe to this podcast, you can find us at our home on the web,
1: storyological.com. Thanks for listening, readers.
0: Happy reading. <laughs> oh, my. <thing. laughs> Don't forget that we're going to die. Okay, let's go. Three, two, one. My not st- dead yet.
1: <laughs> my story. <laughs> That's the name of my punk band. Three, two, one. Not dead yet.
0: Yeah. Or just not dead yet.
1: No, I feel like you need the three, two, one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. it's not cool.
0: Okay. Yeah. It's like we are a sex bomb. If you don't have the we are, it's nothing. You can't just start your your set by saying sex bomb. No. No.
1: No. Okay. Three, two, one.